0: Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today, Mike and I are going to do our listener mailbag. That's right. If you left a review in Apple Podcasts with a question, we're going to bring it up on this listener mailbag episode. And if you want to do that, make sure you add a question in there, send a screenshot to me via Twitter DMs, and I'll send you a college football preview magazine and a 2022 NFL Draft Guide. At the back end of the show, after the mailbag, interviews with Northwestern safety Brandon Joseph and Florida edge Brenton Cox Jr. Let's get it. I'm going to start calling this segment on the Two Foreign Drafts podcast, Emerald Crossings. After my experience as a worker at a weed shop with mm-hmm. my dad in San Jose, Emerald Crossings, that was the name. So when you're selling weed or growing weed, it's common that you have like these power strains. Like Granddaddy Purple is a big strain. Like if you have Granddaddy Purple, there's this like flock, you can charge higher per eight. There's like chem four. A bunch of different ones white widow is one that's kind of a traditional one regardless there's these like traditional strains where if you go to a weed shop and they have it you're like oh my god that's really awesome i'm excited so if you're growing say a granddaddy purple in this situation and it was a grow shop and a seller of weed Mm -hmm. if you're growing granddaddy purple it can come out like shit like if you the ph balances off you forget to water it for a week or it gets over flooded on accident because the timer gets messed up you can ruin granddaddy purple now when that happens you can't Call it Granddaddy Purple. Because if you call it Granddaddy Purple, everyone's gonna be like, oh my God, their granddaddy sucks. Like, I'm never coming back. That's awful. You have to, that's how like a lot of new strains are started. So when we had this Granddaddy Purple come out like ass, me and my buddy who were working there at the time, we renamed it to Purple Cobra. And then we made up this logo for it and everything, and we're charging like half the price per eighth. And we were hyping it up like insanely to a point where like, dude, it's $25 an eighth. Huh. purple cobra it's this new shit we got it from mexico it's freaking awesome like really i'll give it a try and we'd had people coming back in we built it like we printed out this little purple cobra logo for it we had people coming back and like do you have any more of that it was so buyers <laughs> it was incredible it was Perfect uh cobra. it was fucked up to do because like honestly that stuff was probably chemically imbalanced but still that was one of the highlights from Memo Crossings because I we had people coming in for Purple Cobra for a long and you can't regrow it. It's not a real thing. It's just like bad Granddaddy <laughs> Purple. Poor, poorly. So um, people were asking for like clones of it, which is like little plants of it, so they could start their own fucking grow farms of Purple Cobra. But if you ever, th- here's the takeaway: if you ever, if you ever smoking with some homies and you get some Purple Cobra, they're like, you, you just know it's not for. That's not, not a thing. Um, but yeah, that I can't was,
1: imagine the clientele that you would have dude, in a weed shop. That the
0: range that. was wild. Because you had some ballers come in. People who were like, I'll pick up like two ounces at a time, like dropping fat cash. But you also had like people were scrounging up like $8 on the street trying to get a joint and stuff, which was just like a tough scene. But the conversation was sensational. The people in there, I mean, I honestly feel like I could go back. I, I would go
1: back. probably the opposite, that it probably wasn't sensational. You may be just like a little uh nostalgia i was
0: like it. a kid so i was yeah. like 20 years old like just having a good time talking to people about weed and stuff but i didn't even smoke a ton back then or, or now um let's go <laughs> into the mailbag <laughs> <Easy>. <laughs> let's jump into the mailbag here from will oh that's on me that's on me this is not from animal no. crossings this is from will dog 37 from may 26 2021 there were a few day 3 rookies in the 2020 class who had an immediate impact. Sneed, Cameron Curl, Darryl Mooney, Darnell Mooney, Michael Wainu, all come to mind. Which day 3 rookies in this year's class have the best chance of making an immediate impact in their rookie season?
1: Finding these guys out, I mean, is a fucking I mean, dart a tr- at a yeah, dartboard. exactly. I'll just I'll just say this, this is a these are very uneducated guesses I mean it's somewhat educated guesses but these are like uh, finding those guys in day three there's a reason they fell to day three um but my best guess is for those players who would be those in this year's class Michael Carter of the Jets and obviously he fell just to the top of the second round 107 overall but I think he has a very good chance of being the lead dog for the Jets in that offense Cornell Powell Kansas City Chiefs the Clemson wide receiver uh Obviously, they don't have much outside of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey in that offense. They're in need of a wide receiver, too. I think he could be that guy. Stone Forsyth fell to the sixth to the Seahawks. Offensive tackle out of Florida. They're starting Brandon Shell at right tackle, most likely. I think he could compete there or even just injuries happen. He could be the guy that steps in on that offensive line. And then last but not least, the guy we've mentioned a ton, Tay Allen, the UCF corner, goes to the Cardinals, who... We've repeatedly said on this podcast, desperately need cornerback help. They are in one of the most dire situations of the cornerback position in the NFL right now. He has a chance to start. I, yep. I mean, he could start similar to LeJarrius Sneed out the gate.
0: I mean, so much of this dart throwing for day three picks in the 2021 class is going to be opportunity. opportunity. Yeah, you know, if you get an opportunity to do it, it's going to be it, it, pretty much this list is players we really liked that might have opportunities. But there, I think the other players that you could put on this list are other people that you you know, you know identified as sleepers or whatever, or people that fell way too far, but maybe are an injury away, which you never root for, but are an injury away from moving up in the depth chart and then making some plays. I do think, you know, here's an example. Or oh, he wasn't day three. They picked him in the second round, didn't they? The, the backup for uh, Terod Taylor down there in Houston. Oh, third round, Davis Mills. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, Davis Mills might have some opportunity. Who knows? We'll see what happens with the Houston Texans. Uh, that is all right. Moving on to this is from Declan in Omaha. Probably Declan. Declan in Omaha with a team like the Raiders constantly drafting guys higher than a PFF or consensus board would suggest. Why wouldn't they simply trade down to accrue more picks and still take the guys they like? It's a fucking great question. (laughs) I don't know. They don't know. Do they simply talk themselves into being part of the consensus as opposed to the outliers on draftees? I think what the conversation is, we stick to our board. We stick to our board. It's the same thing you hear all the time. And they're just Mm -hmm. unwilling to stick to anything else. It's our board and that's it. And if Alex Leatherwood is a top nine player on our board and he falls to us at 17 or wherever they picked him, they're taking him there because we stick to our board. And I think honestly, that's what it is.
1: So I actually was listening to, I, dro- I drove to Chicago this week and visited my nephews, my brother, some friends there. And I was listening to an audio book on the car, thinking fast and slow. If you've never heard the book, oh, I've it's heard Daniel that. I've heard good things. It's about human decision-making, how we're like very easily swayed. Uh, and just about like how you make decisions in general. I read it a few years back, but I didn't probably process a lot of it. This was like in college, I believe I read it. You're such a Listening to the audio book, trying to like – because a lot of the stuff is, applies to – I mean, decision-making is the draft, like making decisions on players and that sort of thing. And one of the sections that I listened to on the way back really kind of hit me, um, and it was about how experts are actually bad at predictions. They're very good at telling you how things are right now how and this was the sort of the study done was in sort of global political landscape about how they're very bad at predicting how the global political landscape will look in the future very good at telling you how it is right now but they're very bad at predicting the future because they are confident in how they see the world and how it's going to be and so they feel strong more strongly about their predictions they feel uh, that they have this insight that they can't see what they can't see And they don't take into account other factors. And so I think that applied. And hearing that, I'm just like, that is a lot of GMs in the NFL. They are very confident in how they see how the future is going to play out. They can very easily create this story in their head about how the world is going to be two years from now for this guy they just drafted. And so I think that's the biggest thing with the Raiders is you have Mike Mayock, you have John Gruden, two extremely confident football minds, two two very good football minds. They're like, there's no debating that. They know. What the fuck they're doing? They know what they're talking about. They just are overconfident and seeing what they're seeing on tape being what what is going to happen two years from now, three 100%. years from now. So that to me is very much at play here uh with the sort of way the Raiders have gone about making decisions. Is that the, just the overconfidence is rampant within that organization?
0: I mean, we've had I've had people make fun of me on Twitter for how often in the pre-draft process I said overconfident in your evaluation, and I do think that's what the Raiders have been. Though, like the Raiders have legitimately been overconfident in their own evaluation and unwilling to take outside opinion and consensus boards into account. I want to also bring this up. Doug Hyde, new reporter here at PFF, was worked at, worked a league source to talk about the Damon Arnett and Cleveland Furrell stuff. And while why Cleveland Cleveland is not only working. With the second team. Mm-hmm. He's not even rotating in the three technique with the first, the first team, team right now. Yeah. So he's, Solomon Thomas is taking those reps over Cleveland for all. Our boy. Our boy. And then the other part of it, he, he talked to a league source and an, on, on, on anonymously mentioned that Damon Arnett has fallen out of favor with the coaching staff and like legitimately off field struggle, off-field struggles. And the fact that the Raiders are trying to win football games right now is putting him on the bench. They like Nevin Lawson, Casey Hayward, and Trayvon Mullen more than they like Damon Arnett right now. That is a concern. Yeah. That is a concern. You know, that, that's not where you'd like to be if you're drafting players, you know, like they have in the first round like that. And man, you look at this track record for the Raiders over the past few years and the in, the, just the inefficiency. A lot of people talk about the Khalil Mack trade, the Amari Cooper trade, yeah. really have failed to uh, do the best with those resources. They, we don't they've have had
1: to- the second most draft capital in the last five drafts of any team.
0: And, and have arguably been a bottom 10 team the entire time. Well, it's not even that,
1: it's just like their prospects for the future. They, they're they the worst off in their own division, you know? Brilliant like scene. the teams up there at the top, like next to them, you have the Browns, number one. Browns are in maybe the best position in football because they've been shrewd in the
0: draft. How does it get right for them? I mean, honestly, John Gruden, you're locked in for the next 10 years. He's not – for anyone saying John Gruden's on the hot seat, I no. do not see them parting ways with Gruden. I see that it's more likely that they part ways with Mayock. I mean, yeah. you saw after the Alex Leatherwood pick some stir that, you know, people were uncomfortable or maybe even ownership was uncomfortable with some of the decisions being made. I would not be surprised if Mayock is on his way out sooner rather than later, especially if you don't see development from Rugs in year two, Leatherwood doesn't hit a, hit the ground running. That's where you're going to start to see – Maybe some firing, taking aim at Mayoc. We'll see. All right. This one's from, I feel like we talk about bag on the Raiders all the time, but, I mean, there haven't been a lot of good decisions. They are, I think, the 31st ranked franchise in win winning percentage and scoring percentage over the past 10 years. There's a lot of reason to be upset if you are a Raiders fan. All right. Max HWFT. Why aren't PFF grades comparable across positions? Couldn't PFF grades be on a curve so that a particular number grade means the same thing regardless of position? All right. So story time it's a great question by the way and it's
1: it's a nuanced answer they're somewhat they' we tried to put them like that that's what we tried to do so back in 2015 when i this was august 2015 right when we opened up the office in of cincinnati there was like we had everyone who was like kind of at pff at the time it still wasn't that big of a company all like the full-time guys came to the office of cincinnati and for two days we talked about what we should do with the grades. If you'll remember back in the early days of PFF, we put the grades out as a plus and minus, where it was like, like JJ Watt had the PFF records like plus 106. And uh, like an average player was a zero. And it was very not comparable across positions and was very not sort of user friendly in terms of how you were reading it because it was all on this normalized odd scale. And so we're for two days debated what's the best sort of way to present this information and what we came up with was the grades how they look now with the zero to 100 where if you like in the 90s you're an elite player pretty much at any position we tried to do that but the biggest issue that i kept saying was hey in the grading it's just never going to be comparable across positions because if you just look through the play-by-play grading a safety will get a non-zero grade on half the amount of plays that a defensive lineman will. And that's just the nature of the position. Something we talk about in draft evaluations is just the amount of times a safety can go above and beyond. The call of duty and, and be sort of exposed is far less than that of a defensive lineman. Now, the consequences of their sort of poor play versus, you know, above and beyond play doing well is much higher. Uh, obviously, just a guy beating defense tackle beating a center for a a run stop for zero yards is not nearly as impactful as a safety blowing coverage for an 80 yard touchdown. So, that to me is the biggest thing is that depending on your position, you will have a lot more grades and a lot more sort of graded plays. Whereas, just a five yard run, and you're a deep safety, it doesn't matter if it was me out there, I'd do the exact same thing as, you know, Earl Thomas. It just, that's the way the nature of the position. So, that's the biggest reason why they're not we say they're not comparable across positions because you're working with vastly different sample sizes in terms of graded plays mm-hmm. between positions. So that that's kind of graded the biggest thing. Graded
0: plays above or below, expectations. Yes, because above or below every expectation. Because still every player gets yeah, every graded. Player is graded. But yeah. yeah, it's
1: above or below expectation where I'd say the vast majority of plays at safety guys do what they're expected to do. Mm-hmm. That's not the case at defensive line. So I mean they're
0: just not always as involved in the play. Yes.
1: So that was the biggest thing. And so we tried to do it as best we could. And we basically say, you know, here's kind of the the cutoffs for 90 plus is an elite pro bowl, all pro level player, 80 plus quality starter, 70 plus above average starter. Below yep. that, you know, whatever.
0: I will say the 0100 grades, I know Chris, when he bought it in the company, was a big proponent of like mm-hmm. trying to perfect, not perfect those, but improve those to a point where they're Easier to understand are so much better than the plus-minus situation because the plus-minus situation was very difficult for the average fan to see and be like, oh, wow, Aaron Donald graded out at a plus 4.5. It's like no one knows what that means, and I think Mm -hmm. now it's been um, a lot easier to understand with the 0-100. No, not perfect. Far from it, actually. Um, This is from Abby09. I know that defenses are versatile and change formations a lot, but if you had to pick one base defense to play in today's NFL, what would it be? Formation and coverage-wise. For example, would you run a 3-4 or a 4-3, man or zone, cover two or cover three, et cetera? My base defense in high school, I know you didn't play high school football, was 4-4 front. Uh, We slanted weak. It was, okay. so we call it base on three, base on three, or base cover three. We played cover three on the back end, but uh, you always slanted weak. We had someone playing on the true nose, and then there was a another defensive tackle shaded on the outside shoulder of the guard towards the strong side. You always slanted weak. I never. I, I mean, it was just part of the game, but uh, it was a four four front too, which no one in the NFL runs. So you but just which want to stop the run? Yeah, exactly. Which yeah, exactly. What's yeah. your what's your uh, call there? So
1: I, I don't the three four four three. There's so few schemes that are. Tied to I'm that. run a 5 2. I, I think 3 4, having the flexibility with those outside linebackers is where I would having more athletic precise outside linebackers where I would lean. Um, just in terms of like if you're calling that your base, the prototypes you want, those positions, I'd rather that than the 285 pound defensive ends mm-hmm. um, that I have to play outside. I, I think the way our scheme of defense or kind of just the way I've seen defenses built across the NFL. The way Miami has built theirs in terms of they invested heavily in a man coverage secondary. Cause I think man coverage to me is the ultimate, see, it's the, the ultimate way to even the playing field against the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. There's Cause there's no real, I don't want to say there's no real reading of a defense against man coverage. It still is, but it's like if you, if the guy he wants to go to is blanketed by your cornerback, your cornerbacks are better than wide receivers. You're, you're going to have a fucking tough time if you're the quarterback. Like if you, you just straight up are, uh, and so a blitz heavy man heavy defense with the guys to play it. And you can't just run a blitz heavy man heavy defense with dog shit cornerbacks. You're going to need to invest in those positions and they the man the guys who can play man are the guys who get paid a lot too. But I think that is the defense that, like I said, can even the playing field against these high powered offenses. Now. There's more I think than there's one, one way to skin a cat, but that's yeah. just my preference. I,
0: I do think there, it's a more interesting conversation when we talk about, like, the type of players that you would want to target and, and that. Because I do think I agree with you, but I think that's – you're answering it more in the phrase, like, this is the type of where I'd invest. Like, they invested in Byron yeah. Jones. They invested in Xavier Howard. Yeah. They continue to invest in the secondary with Noah Benogany. Um, obviously, Javon Holland out of Oregon. I think that's that's the route I would go as well. And then just trying to find, you know, um, you know, guys up front, I mean Christian Wilkins I think is a good player in the interior, mm-hmm. but still, they're by no way have like invested a ton in edge rushers, and I think that's like what Baltimore has done in a lot of ways, New England has done that for a long time, you're mm-hmm. seeing that with Miami, because edge rushers talk cost so much, like if yeah. you want to go get a top five edge wrestler in the NFL, it's going to cost pretty much as much as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, oftentimes as much as a quarterback. So trying to avoid that with every if, in every shape and form is smarter, and that's why you know the highest paid cornerback in the NFL doesn't make anywhere near what the highest paid edge does, or even top five edges do. So I think I would I would follow that same mold at least until you start to see their, that market value catch yeah. up and stuff like that. All right, Ethan Wah. I look through PFF and PFR. And found that Malcolm Butler was one of the most underappreciated players in free agency. Do you have any theories on why he only got a one-year, one million dollar base salary?
1: I think it's age. I mean, he's thirty-one, and he has gotten, you know, I'd say markedly worse over the past couple. Like he, he is declining. Yeah. And so, thirty-one, declining. I don't think anyone wants to be that team stuck with the Brandon Browner. Starting and if you give them like real money, you're stuck starting that guy. Like you're if you give him six, five, six million dollars, you're like you're paying paying him to be a starter. No one wants to be that guy stuck with the guy who just lost it, lost that step, and it's just not. And so I think that's the biggest reason why. But I, I mean
0: I still think he's undervalued. But yeah, but that, but
1: I still that's I would still also agree with your that assessment that he is undervalued.
0: I mean, that's that's a steal, obviously. Mm-hmm. One when you're one million dollars for Malcolm Butler is of he, what you could get. Yeah, right? for one hundred percent. Uh, this is from Joko Jiba. Love the pod, unmatchable energy. Hey, guys, loaded question about the Chargers. Everyone talks about signing Lindsley and Filer, but just say Ode Ibushi is solid. Can you talk about his grade and with, with the Lions and what to expect this year? There's some talk about Brandon James competing for that spot. What are your um, thoughts and what... Huh? Heimes? Heimes. Heimes? That's how you pronounce Hymas. Brandon Hymus competing for that spot. What are your thoughts and what would he need to improve on? What would he need to improve on to crack the starting lineup? Lastly, this is all about the offensive line, which I kind of love. Lastly, my dark horse contender at guard. Oh, it's still offensive line. Is Scott Questenberry, the veteran. He started nine games in 2019 when Pouncey was hurt. And from what I saw, was good in pass pro. Does he have a shot or am I underrating the transition from center to guard? He did not bring up Lindsley. He did not bring up Slater and talked completely about the Chargers offensive line. This guy's in the freaking weeds. You know what that reminds me of? You remember when we, so Mike and I do the serious radio show. Every Friday during the season. And remember we took questions from that one yeah. guy. Went, and this Pittsburgh Steelers fan calls up. It's in the middle of preseason. And he's asking about like this practice squad running back that me and him never. We're like Googling what this guy's name is from West Virginia. He's like, do you think he has a shot to make the roster? I was looking up his high school track tape. I was like, holy shit. These, these fans, man. Sometimes you just get. This guy's not even close to those weeds. But, man, yeah. some of these fans get really deep in the weeds, really looking at track and field tape of. fucking practice squad running backs but I really appreciate the question from Joe Kabah here
1: so what I will say they didn't give Ibushi and Filer the money they did for them not to start like those guys are starting now you are the charged offensive line I don't want to say those guys will get hurt but someone's going to get hurt you're the charged offensive line like that that's just that's just a way of life I I liked Hymas coming out he is very physically underdeveloped to start right away in the NFL that was the biggest thing he is not Strong. It, it, he did not have good run blocking grades. He's not a people mover. Now, can he play in the NFL? Yes, but he needs to get stronger. And so that's why I would be hard pressed to see him unseat someone like Ibushi, who had six six point six overall grade last year. That's all you need at guard. Like you don't need to be too much better than that. Is more than good enough. You allowed eleven pressures on four hundred twenty six pass blocking snaps. That's perfectly fine. That's fine. So I think he will start. I think you're pretty much locked in with your starting lineup. But I do like Questenberry and Hymas as depth there. This is, this, knock on wood, best charge line since, what, 0- 08, 07 maybe? Wow. When, you know, Marcus McNeil was at left tackle, when they, had, when they had LT still running the rock. So this, hopefully, but again, you're the charge line. So I wouldn't get my hopes up too much.
0: Before I get into the next question, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to apologize to the YouTube watchers that my mop and my hair—it looks kind of horrendous. It's getting a little wild on the sides. We need to get some plays being made on a you haircut. Got
1: the uh, p- the the professor look, what did I call the, you? The, yeah, the mad professor. The mad professor.
0: The mad professor That's- is out, and he's he's honestly interested, which is which is interesting. Um, going to move forward here with Julian Louise, 23. Austin and Mike say slaying, brother, which late round or UDFA running back has the highest chance to produce as a rookie. I like Dokes in Miami, former University of Cincinnati grad, to earn some goal line short yardage work and Patterson in Washington to phase out McKissick. His college production was huge, and I feel I could see him right behind Gibson in a in a one-two punch. I will say this before you answer. I fucking love you. JD McKissick, though. I was about to say, yeah, J- <laughs> J- people can't quit JD McKissick. Yeah. If you think Jared Patterson's going to come in there and make some plays, JD McKissick is every coach's favorite running back. I think he's still, I mean, he's going to take touches away from freaking Gibson. I honestly think he's, he's going to. I think JD McKissick steals at least some targets away. Everyone loves him as a pass catching back. Um, as for Dokes in Miami, that backfield's interesting. You know, obviously Matt Brady is kind of slated to start there, but I think a lot of people are going to have opportunities.
1: Yeah. Um, my, obviously, I called that Michael Carter earlier. Um, but late round, he was pick 107. That's not super late. Um, true late rounders, I obviously have my bold prediction about Chris Evans here in, in Cincinnati. That's right. Getting some touches. Now, Joe Mixon's obviously going to be the lead dog there, but I think if Mixon goes down, gets hurt, banged up, whatever, Evans is the guy that steps in there. And the other guy I'd highlight is Khalil Herbert in Chicago because I think he brings a vastly different element than Dave Montgomery. Mm-hmm. A lot more speed to the table. Also a, a friend a of the pod. More ho- much more of a home run hitter there in Chicago. So if that offense calls for something of that nature, which if Justin Fields is your starting quarterback, I would like a little more speed back there to pair with him. So I could see him taking some touches, even though a little bit of a loaded backfield there.
0: I, I, they're high on David Montgomery, too. it would be interesting yeah. to see if Herbert gets some touches. But that's going to be, you know, with injuries and stuff, opportunity comes. Um, all right. This is from Bitey Mike. Question is a bit of a tinfoil hat, but stay with me. Ooh, here we go. Mm -hmm. With QBs being cranked out as frequent and prep-ready as ever, college systems being adopted to the NFL, finding a QB is easier than ever. Still not easy, but easier. Also, in today's NFL, you really can't win a Super Bowl unless your quarterback is on a rookie deal or an elite talent. I I would agree. All that being said, would you support a GM that drafts a QB with every four years or so? Assuming he's one of the good QBs that you can win with but not elite, you surround him with talent for four years. That Then when his fifth-year option is up, you take the option, draft a new guy, and start him the next year. Does this, do this until you find a dude, but every year until then, you'll have a stacked roster and good, young, cheap quarterback. Obviously takes great talent evaluation, but so does any team-building strategy. This is kind of like my, say, my thing where I say... The, you know, you know, you don't really want any veteran quarterbacks unless they're really fucking good. You know, yeah. like you you want you want to be developing a guy on a rookie contract or playing a guy that you think can be a top six player at the position, mm-hmm. paying and playing a player at the top six position. Because when you find yourself in the middle there, where you're paying on that second contract someone who's not a top six, maybe to, I'll, I'll extend mm-hmm. it out to top eight, you're going to be in that purgatory situation where you can't win a Super Bowl or you can, but you can't consistently compete for them. You're always going to be like yeah, a yeah. dark horse candidate to try and make it.
1: Yeah. So. That's the, that's the tough part about this situation is that we have, we, I think we overreact to such small sample sizes where it's like, oh, we just saw Mahomes and Brady win. You got to have an elite quarterback. Well, before that, Nick Foles won. yeah And then you had Joe Flacco winning one and you had Eli Manning winning one. And and yeah, like those guys played exceptionally well uh, on those runs. And and you even had Peyton Manning winning one when he was pretty cheeks. yeah (laughs) it, It was not Peyton Manning winning one. It was the rest of that team winning one. So and he was making a lot of money also. He, he was one of the highest paid quarterbacks was. in the NFL, playing very poorly, yeah. and he still won a Super Bowl. So that I do think. That was a think, shoot
0: the moon situation for Denver. For yeah, sure. but I've seen so, a lot of so talent.
1: Too. Of the last 10, that's four of the last 10. Now, were those teams consistently competitive after that? You no, know, the Giants kind of fell off. Ravens kind of fell off for a little bit there. Broncos kind of fell off. Eagles have obviously fallen off. I also
0: think you have so, to look at Super Bowl losers too. Jared Goff falls off. Jimmy G falls Like, yeah. even if you're getting there, it's very hard to get back when you don't have that elite yeah. talent.
1: So obviously getting the elite talents thing. But there's a reason they're the elite talents because there's only three or four of them in the NFL that consistently yeah, get yeah. you there mm-hmm. in the building every single year. So you hang on to those guys. You got one of those guys. Don't let those guys walk out mm-hmm. the door. Now, would Dak Prescott qualify as one of those? I, I don't think so. Would yeah. Baker Mayfield qualify as one of those? Not yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lamar Jackson, TBD. Like th- Those are in the mix. I would even say Josh Allen would be a TBD after kind of how different last year was compared to the rest of his career. So I, I don't think there's any shame in playing it by ear, with especially when you draft the guys in the first round and mm-hmm. you have seven years of control then on a guy yeah. when you draft him in the first round. With like the you franchise got the, you, got, you got the fifth-year option, two franchise tags, so you have seven years of a guy's career to make that decision when you draft him in the first round. So I don't think there's any need to immediately give guys massive contracts and put yourself in the Jared Goff, Carson Wentz sort of situations. But I would also say that you know immediately just... Let's say you know, moving on trading trading Baker Mayfield right now trading, Lamar Jackson's restarting. I don't think that's necessarily the right way to go about it yeah. either. I, I think when you have a guy who is proven to be above average at the quarterback position, a top twelve to fifteen, you you can win a Super Bowl.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, obviously, it's going to take lightning in a bottle every any any year to win a Super Bowl, but I, I think just giving up after that fifth year. Is not something I would do. I would continue to, like I said, wait and see as long as possible. Give yourself as much leeway as possible and then make your decision from there. I I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, though, to kind of restart the quarterback position. Like, if you do, if you want to move on from Mayfield, trade him. Someone will give you a first round pick for Baker Mayfield right now. Back to life. Someone will give you something. Yeah. Someone will give you at least a Carson Wentz. Donald got a second. Yeah. So you'll get (laughs) something. You'll get a good haul in return and then. You know, be able to maybe get that young, cheap quarterback, but I do think that if keep the guys that get you into that conversation and try to build that roster around them as long as possible.
0: I I think you hinted at this too, and we've said this before, but I don't think it's stupid what the Dallas Cowboys did with Dak Prescott. A lot of people are like calling them dumb. It's like no, like slow playing it and paying a little more on average per year because he actually proves it is not stupid. That is way better than the Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Derek Carr. Jimmy Garoppolo, all those situations are so much worse. Do not hand out heavy multi-year second contracts to quarterbacks unless they're going to compete as yeah. top 8 players. And I think you could argue, I know it's not he's not like a guarantee to be a top 8 quarterback, but I think Dak Prescott could be. Like he he played at that level yeah. before he was hurt in 2020. I do think that they're smart to slow play it and I think the Browns should do it. The, the Ravens should do it. The Bills should do it. I think the Giants are that team where I'm like, okay, it's time to cut bait. If it doesn't pan out this year. Yeah,
1: if you're looking for a decision that put the Cowboys behind the eight ball, it was paying Zeke Elliott instead of Byron Jones.
0: And Jalen Smith. They paid Zeke yeah. and Jalen Smith. And th- both those contracts look stupid. Instead of Byron Jones.
1: 100%. That there's your why Why did things go south. That's wow. what, so
0: Fantastic question from Bitey Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you relate it beastie boy or no Beastbot 75 just recently watched draft day oh my god Mm. can i say something i fucking hate that movie people bring it up like it's good it's not
1: good get the question
0: one rating out of (laughs) 10 rating out of 10 for the movie if there was a draft day two what what would be a great plot that would make it an oscar worthy movie one it's a one out of 10 if that two there was no plot I, I, i thought it was at
1: least entertaining
0: yeah so my Even for my, like
1: the making fun of it aspect.
0: Yeah, I guess that's fair. I can't, you know? it depends on the scale. So i scale like 1 a, to 10? Like if 10 is on if Oscar if Oscar worthy is on the scale, it's barely a 1. If okay. inter, if it's a scale of entertainment, it's probably like a 4. Yeah. Three, four. But it, I, in terms Just of like actually you know, we've had this conversation offline, offline, off the pod about, like, how you rate movies and all that stuff. Like, of course, the Marvel movies are entertaining. Mm-hmm. They fucking put superheroes and have them fight for two hours. But are they actually good movies that take, like, legitimate thought and plot development? No, not yeah. a lot of the times, no. But anyway, how would I make it a, a draft day two completely fire anyone that was a part of draft day one? And <laughs> well, no, Kevin Costner. Could, no, fuck make a re- Kevin Costner, a the entire movie was trash and actually make it like a documentary like what's more engaging than draft day any of the behind the scenes stuff that you see about like the fucking draft rooms and stuff where you yeah. see like I, I would rather watch that I'd rather watch two hours of that Could by a
1: there's like a best documentary Oscar or yeah. something
0: do like, a documentary from start to finish of a, of a of team uh, like scouting an of, entire class
1: of uh laramie Tunsil and the the gas that would have been phenomenal do like a a, 30 for 30 do the qb1
0: thing but with like draft prospects i would much rather see that or do that with scouts i would much rather see that any fictional garbage where they trade what was the end of that movie where they trade like everything in the world to go get a fucking pick or something i don't even know how it goes yeah
1: it was and we want our punter back or something stupid yeah they like held a team hostage for the picks that they already gave them and then they got them all back so I mean, it was Kevin Costner. I mean, there was so.
0: more. There was more fairy tales than that struck than the fucking Marvel series. On a
1: stroke of genius, but stroke. I like your. I like your idea better. I was gonna bring up the scene from Tropic Thunder, which I probably shouldn't. So
0: let's keep go. going. Perfect. A lot of people are hating on Tropic Thunder now, like it was like completely. Well, that's why I probably shouldn't bring it up. Okay, uh, this is from Mark One Two Three Nerdist. I know Max Chadwick, our producer, is a big Marvel fan, so he's probably hanging his fist right now as he listens on. But Mac- Mark One Two Three Nerdist, insert new podcast name here can't we can't we can't tell them the podcast name yet we can't it's a good one. Though. my question is about being below average well fuck you're talking to the right guy <laughs> now what position on Yo, both offense and defense is the one you can get away with being below average
1: feels like you're just like teeing this up for like the classic Ooh. pff whatever yeah. but i mean it's running back on offense we, I don't we really don't need to hammer it home too much but like look at the 2019 chiefs you had yeah. damien If he had to pick another position maybe cut, guard But well, he got cut from the dolphins right yeah he was cut he was released and that was your starting running back. Got cut from the fucking Dolphins. He was almost a Super MVP. People were standing for Super MVP. So <laughs> you can be below average running back and have the best offense in the NFL. And then doesn't take much to see the opposite side of the ball linebacker. 2020 Rams. Maybe the worst linebacker in the league. You know, Tavon Young, like Kaiser. They, they were bad. bad. Bad linebackers. Best defense in the NFL. So. Yeah. Those I mean, and, and <laughs> I do think
0: that there are some Aren't... football purists or like film grinders mm-hmm. that see, like immediately see some of that and like, oh my gosh, you pieces of shit! Can't believe you'd ever say that. But who would you actually put? Like, you have to choose opposition.
1: Yeah. That...
0: I mean, the only one on offense I would even consider is like one of the guard spots. And yeah. even then, I'd much rather have running back. And you could say fullback, but most teams don't even use a fullback anymore. Yeah. For defense, I'm definitely. We say not... tight end
1: to it. Uh, yeah, you could yeah. say tight
0: end. Yeah, tight end's not bad. Yeah. And tight ends are, get arguably get paid worse or, yeah. or less than running backs. It's it's very close. And for defense, it's not going to be anybody in the secondary for sure. And I think up front, those people are involved in so many more plays. Like yeah. you, you're not, I, again, I, I didn't I mean like Matt,
1: If you have a liability at one of your cornerback positions, you're screwed. You just like that's going to be an issue for you. It just is.
0: At least it's at least going to keep you from being the top defense in the NFL. Whereas linebacker having a below average starter there is not. All right, John David Nice Booty. People people forget about John David Booty. I don't. I think about him. Oh really? Oh wow. Jeez. Um, Any advice or pointers on to have a job like you two do? I'm heavily consumed in data with my current role and love it, but really would love to be able to apply towards my true love, which is football. I feel like I answer this question a lot. But I'm going to give some, give some concise feedback here. One, if you want to work on the content side of football, it's important to add content-specific skills. Work in the Adobe Suite, Photoshop, Premiere. All that stuff is super important. InDesign. Add specific skills that other people don't have. Also, start writing. Write every single day. Try and get audio work. Start a podcast. Start a YouTube channel. Do all those things. Legitimately add skills, regardless of where you're at. Now, there are some people who also ask, How, "Well, I, I want to be a scout." It's almost like completely different. Like it's like, go study football. Go build relationships in, in the coaching yeah. trees. Show up to the combine and do these. You don't need, don't open Premiere and all that stuff. And I do think it's important because I was talking to someone recently. It's, like, it's important to decide your lane now because mm-hmm. you can't like, oh, I might be a scout, but if I always can fall back on media, it's like, no, you're going to be a bad writer by then. You're not going to have mm-hmm. any skills in Adobe. You're not going to uh, The other skills you should build up are Excel, Tableau, any coding languages. So you can actually create engaging content because it's not obviously being smart at football is important and you are one of the more smart football people I know, but you're also really good at creating content. And why you've done that is you have a ton of experience on podcasts and those types of things. So
1: I, I was going to say, like, I didn't, I started out dog shit at. Yeah. Podcasting and it was reps. talking on, yeah, like it, it just produced the work and then have something to point to is the biggest thing I would say. Like it, the the barrier to entry to producing something that people can see online is very so low. low. Very, you can do it now, you just a, you a YouTube channel with, a, channel with iPhones. If yeah, you have, an iPhone. if you have a phone, you can you have a modern smartphone you can start a youtube channel and point to work that you
0: have definitely chase reps don't make excuses you can go start a youtube channel a twitter channel a twitch a discord all that stuff in a second you can start your own website in a second and then the other thing i would say is bookmark job pages where you want to work. Consistently check those because obviously a lot of it is, you know, chasing opportunity and identifying that. And also have some self-awareness. You know, like if you don't have a lot of reps, if you don't have a lot of, you know, experience and you don't have a lot of skills, try and attack, you know, try and inch your way up, working at smaller publications yeah. and eventually gaining that opportunity. But a lot can be said there. Go pick up some skills that other people don't have. That's where I would start. All right. This is from Todd is a boy. Cool, Cam Robinson and Jawan Taylor. I'm a Jags fan, and I like to stay optimistic every year for the upcoming season. You and other all 32 fan bases. With that being said, I noticed the other day that Jawan Taylor is entering his third year in the league, while while Cam Robinson is entering his fifth, fourth if you exclude the injury season. And according to your you guys, that's prime time to become a good to become good at football. It's true. I was wondering what you guys thought of the possibility. Of one, or maybe even both of them breaking out, and how much that would improve the offensive line and the offense as a whole for the Jacks. It's a good take, actually, thinking about Cam Robinson. I know we've been soured on for a while, but Jawan Taylor hasn't been dog shit since entering the NFL. He could improve.
1: I you were you were hating on him, Jawan. Just the Jaguars' offensive line. Yeah, in yeah, it's
0: true. And, and I Only was to of make the a opinion. point that the Jets have a better situation, which I yeah. still stand by.
1: But I was of the opinion that. Jawan Taylor will be better this year. And Cam Robinson will be better dealt with injuries if he's healthy. Obviously, like injuries have been a common theme for him throughout his career. And, and the simple fact that continuity along the offensive line is a massive, massive thing, you're bringing back all five starters. Yep. So I, I think that, in and of itself, you can expect improvement from this Jaguars offensive line. And, and honestly, I think this is a NFL average offensive line. You don't need much more to run a high level. like you, That gets you in the building. That is enough that is a good enough situation for Trevor Lawrence to succeed behind now. You'd obviously like to improve. Um TBD, how big a step Juwan Taylor and, and uh, uh Cam, Cam Robinson. Robinson make. And Cam Robinson, I, he, I think this might even be just kind of a plug one year just to say, hey, we don't want Trevor Lawrence to have dog shit protect him on the left side, because they obviously drafted uh what's his face from Stanford? Walker Little from Stanford mm-hmm. in the second round, who may be the heir apparent there at the left tackle. But I think you can expect at least a good enough situation for him to operate.
0: Speaking of offensive lines, specifically young offensive linemen, I saw some Chargers beat reporters saying Rashawn Slater went four for four in one-on-ones, including beating up Joey Bosa. And now I don't like to react or overreact to training camp stuff, but I would have loved to see those fucking reps. That sounds pretty sweet. Slater versus Bosa would have broke the internet today if someone got a clip of that. That It's it's hard.
1: I mean, shit, it's hard to fake a one-on-one.
0: True. No, that's... on ones. No... And we talk about one-on-ones all the time in the pre-draft process. To yeah. see Slater versus Bosa would have been sick. I don't know how the Chargers social social media team is missing that. All right. Um, from Saver Zero, what do you think of Nevada quarterback Carson Strong? He was actually on the college football podcast with Seth Galina, so go check that out if you want to hear him. He seems to be a day-two favorite with phenomenal arm talent.
1: He might be day one. Yeah. Because he does. He, he has a hose. Like I, I think I said just before, he had the farthest throw in college football last year. Damn near 70 yards. Um, had the most completions, 40-plus yards downfield of any quarterback in the country last year. Dude, just fucking he gets hammering linked. it. And he has a, an aesthetically pleasing release. He got a tight, throws a tight spiral, quick release, no, elong, no elongation in that arm to get it moving down the football field, 6'4", 215. ticks a lot of those boxes. Now he's not a gifted runner. Uh, I still have questions about his pocket presence and obviously the level of competition. He did not play a power five school last year so that will change this year um he plays Boise State early on he plays Cal early on he will get the reps uh yeah Boise State's a better defense like but he plays one more power five school that I'm forgetting off the top of my head but he plays some better competition this year and so he'll get every opportunity but man the jump he made from 2019 this past year we see that again he even said, "Did uh, he say that on the on the PFF College Podcast that he wants to complete eighty five percent of his passes?"
0: No, he said that in different. Uh, he okay. said that in an interview with I don't know who, but it was I I don't remember, no. but it was someone.
1: Now that's absurd, but he did go from sixty three point two completion percentage in twenty nineteen to seventy point one this past year. So I'm not expecting it to go anywhere close to that, but he, he is made some strides i'm very excited to see where he pushes his game because he is a talented dude
0: looking at nevada's football schedule you're right they do have a juggernaut san diego state on the road it's gonna oh. be a fucking monster no they do play uh cal and kansas state both state. on the road. Oh, kansas state's actually both players. on the road both yeah. in the first three weeks of the season with an idaho state cupcake right in between a little teaser that's and, and, boys nice. state,
1: and boys state early on the season too i think right boys we, state right after those so first four it, weeks are gonna so, be yeah. dogs you'll be you'll be tested okay Carson
0: Strong it's time to show up yeah I like it I'm excited football season is gonna be freaking legit this year I can't wait I'm freaking excited oh man all right this is from Jason Deloach new freelancer here you just added Jason well no yeah he's a new freelancer here at BFF um in an alternate universe true sophomores can get drafted to the NFL wow I like this lead what upcoming sophomores would be a potential first round draft pick slash top of their position group in the class of 2022. And why is Will Anderson one of them? Absolutely.
1: Oh, okay, Will Anderson would be up there, the Alabama edge defender. Kayshawn, too. Kayshawn Booty, LSU wide receiver. My guy. Um, I think B. John Robinson, Tank Bigsby, the running backs from Texas and Auburn, respectively, would be up there in the conversation for running back one. Um, And maybe Brian Breezy. So he was, if you'll recall, he had an 81.6 pass rushing grade, a true freshman for Clemson was a, I think it was the number one overall recruit uh, in his year. He transferred. Did he
0: transfer? I thought he transferred, no, maybe I'm a high. No,
1: I hope not. He <laughs> was an absolute, mo- uh, his tape from high school was just out of this world, but he's- So it was mine. He, he, he could be in that mix. He's 6'5", 290. The dude is a horse and only 19 years old. So those are the, those are the guys I would put in the mix. Now, would any of them be like, so I think the conversation was after Stingley's freshman year, if he would have come out, would he have been the first cornerback selected? I, I think that was a poss- very strong possibility. And that was him versus Jeffrey Akuda. I'm not sure any of these guys, like Booty over Garrett Wilson, eh. Will Anderson over Kayvon Thibodeau, Breeze over Thibodeau. But the ones who probably were the closest would be B. John Robinson, Tank Bigsby. I can't believe you didn't bring I up our
0: guy here. Who's our guy? DJ Galele. Okay. He would have been number one overall no. pick. No. <laughs> um, what was I going uh, to add? We haven't commented on the Quinn Ewer stuff. Or oh. He's uh, foregoing his senior season. Yeah. So l- l- we need the full rundown here because people look at it and they're like, oh, my God, he's not going to go to senior high school. Is he even going to graduate? Read what he fucking said. He's only got one more class till he gets his degree in high school. It's like, why would you go back? He's already 18 years old as well. Like the yeah. only reason you go back is to, like hang out with the fellows one more time. <laughs> like, honestly, like that's it. If you went back, you wouldn't play. I don't think it would be smart for him to play. Like there was too much earning potential on the line. I'm not saying this would ever happen. And I'm not, I'm I'm just saying it is in the realm of outcomes or a mm-hmm. range of outcomes that a McKenzie Milton situation happens or you hurt yourself significantly to where yeah. you do miss time. Like, I think – and more, and I think I've seen a lot of people say, oh, man, new college football. You're going to see a lot of this. Buddy, if you're 18 years old and you only have one more class left to graduate high school and you can leave early, do it. And if you're the number one prospect in the country and now on 24-7 sports, a 1.000 five-star recruit, literally the best they've ever seen, go get your fucking bag.
1: Well, it's – to me, it's – this isn't – people say, oh, it's like a start of a trend or whatever. It's – no, the, the outliers in high school are going to do this. Not yeah. – not your guy who's a three-star rolling into like middle Tennessee state and wants to see playing time it's like the guys who are actually yeah could have played could play in college right now mm-hmm. are the ones who are going to do it so I don't think it's going to mess up like you worry about it messing up their developmental curve not being ready whatever being immature going to college you know that's that's what you would worry about mm-hmm. for a guy skipping a senior season I, I don't think that's like this dude's a monster mm-hmm. uh, what he can do it right now i don't think he starts for how to state this upcoming fall they have a ton of person. talent that yeah yeah you know. but uh, i i do think that if in started. his situation
0: <laughs> can you imagine might, if you started? Might as well <laughs> Can you wild. imagine oh my gosh that'd be sick anyway uh i'm definitely glad you're on the right side of history there he definitely should go i think mean, people if you're well, telling like him... should
1: go it's more just like he, i don't think it's a bad decision yeah i, I, I don't think i don't think there's like downsides
0: I think but there's like only downsides
1: to, to going back. Well, I mean, if you want to go back and kick it with the fellows, that's. I mean, yeah, too. yeah, yeah. It's true. There well,
0: are positives. You, know, you, the you can't forget about the fellows. You yeah. can't forget about the fellows. You're right. You're one, right. One, one but I'm telling you right now, on. those parties at Ohio State are going to be pretty decent too. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's just me. Um, all right. This is from DC guy. One question: Can you talk about combines uh, What what combine stats might be more useful than the 40 time across positions? Also, can you give benchmarks of what good number good numbers are in other combine stats? Like, what's the equivalent of a 4-4 four, in four, the three cone? I will say this before you get into mm-hmm. specific times and stuff: Some really important numbers that I don't think get discussed enough are height and weight. <laughs> like height, weight, and arm length yeah. have a ton of what? like impact on you know development that type of stuff. I would be very you know there there are certain arm length cutoffs for linebacker, corner, tackle, that I not cutoffs but like legitimately good at identifying outliers. I would definitely focus in more on height, weight, and and arm length and those types of things. But you, I know you love the sub seven three. Yeah, sub seven
1: three cone. I'll, obviously going to love that. But I, so more useful numbers. I just think the more useful way to look at combine stats is a is holistic. Like don't look at one number. A guy runs a four three and be like, okay, that's he's you know an elite athlete now if he can't change direction to save his life or he can't cut that's that's a problem so you kind of got to look at it like the short shuttle and three cone that's change direction ability that's your agility like the, combine those numbers in the sort of percentile ranks of those drills that's how well a guy kind of that's that's his agility to change direction the vertical jump broad jump 10 split that's the guy's explosiveness how how explosive a guy is obviously 40 is your straight line speed but all of it comes together to form you know a football player An athletic like you profile. do you have to do a lot more in the nfl than just running in a straight line and so that looking at it like that and, and not just taking one number say like i said the three forty, or like a su- even a sub seven three cone and saying oh that's the number that if he hits that he's, he's gonna good. be what you know elite player or whatever it's no you have to take it all as kind of this is what his athletic profile is. And then obviously adjusting it for the guy's 350 pounds and runs a 4'9". That's a lot different than a guy who's 250 pounds running a four. Yeah,
0: nine. if you're not doing weight-adjusted <laughs> athletic profiles, yes. you're probably fucking up. But, uh, I mean, that's what Dr. Eric Eager is working on a ton. I mean, teams have legitimately had a ton of one-on-one conversations with him trying to identify a better you know, athleticism score. Something that's more predictive by position and those types of things. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is friend of the pod 69. I like this guy already. This is, please help me with this argument with a random person on Twitter to make them look like an idiot and boost my ego. Love this guy. Oh. Get him on the pod. Is
1: this, this
0: is, is this, Kevin is this They say don't draft quarterbacks high or give them second contracts because QBs with higher salary caps can't win Super Bowls and QBs that should be the last piece of the puzzle then said it isn't a coincidence. Isn't, then said, it isn't a coincidence, isn't Cousins 17% of market cap, Rogers 20% or Wilson 17 This is fucked. Yeah, this one got out a lot. Of Naturally, hands. you then wonder why hasn't Gardner Minshew won any Super Bowls. <laughs> they also said that Browns, Bills, and Ravens will be a powerhouse for the foreseeable future, though all three QBs will be about to get paid. Thanks for getting through that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't, Love- I didn't actually know what his question was. But I think it's very similar to the question prior about like the they said. Happened? So they said, "Don't give quarterbacks second contracts," kind of unless they're they're just saying that high percentage salary caps can't win. And like I said, every Super Bowl champion is an outlier. Super Bowl champs to win Super Bowls, it's an outlier.
0: It's a great take. So it's a quote graph.
1: So I, I don't think there's a, a blueprint. the The blueprint is to consistently add add ta- add. Consistently gain the small value edges. Now, quarterback is one position where I think even the higher paid ones, even the guys making like $30 million are still, if you are, so if you were to give Baker Mayfield $35 million right now, he is is worth that much money. You have to then find the edge elsewhere because it's cap league and you have to find the edge somewhere. But I think that's still a value edge. So if you have a quarterback that is talented, try to hang on to them Mm -hmm. find the edges elsewhere there's no one way to skin the
0: cat wow find the edges elsewhere i think is a great is a great take when you do pay that quarterback yeah obviously hoping that you paid a guy that can at least be top 10 Mm -hmm. top 8 in his peak season and i think the edges still very much alive and well in the nfl are obviously how much you pay other positions and also like I still think there's game day decisions to be made. I mean, play calling decisions, fourth down decisions, that type of stuff. There's still more edges to be had. How often you're throwing on early downs, there's a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. in that. All right.
1: Yeah, you don't. it's not just one decision that gets you a Super Bowl. And there's not just like one way. Like I said, one quarterback decision that goes you to Super Bowl. You have to then I do think it fill out an entire tackle, roster. It, it is it's most the biggest tackle. decision. But But you also have to find an entire roster of talented players.
0: All right, from SickMan20. But before we do so, I have to bring this up from our sponsors here. Proud sponsors, Western and Southern. Um, in these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead, Mike, to leave the road, to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Shall we continue to progress? Um, Team building Packers questions. I recently applied for the research intern position, and many more with PFF. I have a theory that I was wondering if I could lead to some helpful team building strategies. Interesting. Is there any data out there of which positions get injured the most often? Is it worth studying any sort of significant difference in order to avoid paying big money to said positions? Instead, maybe a team should just invest in more players at the position rather than a high quality player. I have a feeling that offensive linemen have the greatest chance of getting injured, rather than spending. Big at several positions. I believe teams should really try to take an approach of having several bodies who all have potential to start and play at a moderate level. So when injuries do occur, you can handle that injury. That I don't know if I I don't know. I mean, obviously more research needs to be done if offensive line is the most injury prone, but still that does bode well with like you don't need to be elite along the offensive line. You need to be you need to be complete. I am talking to the football research interns we did hire about Looking, there's just still more opportunity with like injury predictiveness. Like, is it position? Is it age and age, weight? Like these. There's a lot. Like, there's a lot. We talk a lot about the Bosa's hamstrings. Like, what? What exactly? <laughs> what exactly is predictive with injuries? Yeah. So I do think there's so much more research to be done because it is the million dollar questions. Right now, at face value, if you ask any average fan, injuries are random. But I think there might be more opportunity as you gather more data and, and look at things to to, to so, actually have better thought there.
1: So the tough, uh, the tough sort of tough problem here especially on the offline line and i think that's his question here is to invest in more guys who have the potential to start there's not 32 times five starting offensive line, caliber offensive line in the nfl whatever that number is 160 nice there's not there's maybe like 120 maybe and that's like there are holes in every office line of the league so the guys that are even, like, mildly capable of starting, the Donovan Smiths of the world, are making $14, $15 million a year. There's, there's no, like, hey, let's pay $8 million to this ta- $7 million to this tackle, and he'll be fine started first. It's like, no, you pay $7 million to tackle, chances are he's a backup. So that, that to me, says, like, draft more. That's why I would third, fourth, fifth round be taking shots along the offensive line because that's where you can find guys who start in the NFL, especially on the interior. Um, be building from that perspective, um, taking more shots. But I, there's not really a lot of there's not a lot of bargains and free agency along the line because every single team in the NFL needs one. There's just there's not enough to go around.
0: Next question from him. I truly thought. Truly believe Packers' downfall this season will be their offensive line. I estimate a 20-point PFF drop in production at losing Lindsley, 10-point drop at left tackle with recovering Bakhtiari, 10-point drop losing Rick Ragner, and relying on Turner full-time. Slight increase from Lucas Patrick, 5-10-point to 10 point jump from Elkton Jenkins. I think they took the right approach on how to handle offensive line, letting Lindsay and Bulaga walk in free agency the last two years. Rodgers doesn't, but invested <laughs> in three low-quality options in the draft this year, Myers, Newman, Van Lannon. And last year, Stepanek, Hansen, Ronyan, I did really like these guys as prospects. I don't really understand what the Packers saw in these players. I didn't really like, excuse me. I don't really understand what the Packers saw in these players and them needing to rely on these guys will hurt the Packers the most. Thanks. I love your guys' work and would love to study the theory more with you guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do think that's their, now defensively, obviously the second corner still TBD, but I would be worried the most about the Packers offensive line. Now they do a great job of kind of skirting around it with the way they operate that offense. It's got way more play action heavy than in years prior. They, and when they build leads on you, they're very balanced and don't have to get in obvious pass situations. I even think that was kind of their downfall. Now, not having a second wide receiver was also kind of their downfall. But if you look in the, when they fell behind to the Bucs, had to obviously pass. Like, you know, a lot of obvious pass situations, their off did not hold up. Even Rick Wagner had a disaster of a game in that NFC Championship game. So I, I do think it will be an issue. They just need to play with leads, which is what they were very good at doing last year, even with. So I, I don't think it'll really impact them then, but it will if they fall behind in games.
0: From R. Brown too. how would you how would both of you guys fix the Falcons' defense? They have a sneaky good linebacker. They have sneaky good linebackers, but their corners and edge rushers are god awful. I'm hoping they can get get in on the corner class early this year, but curious to hear your thoughts. I'm also excited about Jared Patterson coming out of Notre Dame. He graded out really well along centers, but What's holding him back from being a top name there?
1: Yeah, I mean, they've just been so bad at their edge. Evals, the Falcons defense. It, it's hard to see this as. Tack it, McKinley, Vic Beasley. Even signing um, like Dante Fowler. Like, that was a bad signing. Like, it was, everyone and their mother knew that was a bad signing when it happened. So, but they have to get on this cornerback class. Elite cornerback class. Maybe they don't get Stingley, but Kyir Elam from Florida. I, I think there's a good chance they can get on it, do it, get him, pair him with uh, what's his face from Clemson, that, um, AJ Terrell On Ondell. And that's your those are your corners for years to come. So that is what I would do if I were them. I think they'll have a good chance of getting in on it. And then Jarrett Patterson, I, I think he'll be drafted somewhere late day two. Uh, he's a very good center prospect. Not much of a people mover, but very uh, technically sound. Very good with his hands. He's not going to be coveted super highly. The NFL kind of prefers either high-level athletes at center or big centers because quickest way to kind of blow up a play is right through the center. So a center that gets moved in the backfield, which is a little bit of Patterson, he's kind of high cut. I think he's like 6'5, 300, not the strongest dude. So he will get dinged for that, but I think he's still a very good center prospect.
0: I'm interested to see, um, uh, there was some discourse on Twitter recently about CeeDee Lamb versus AJ Terrell and what should the Falcons have done? I think Ian Rapport tweeted something like, this is an, like the, the best, use case or best example of drafting best player available because like cd lamb's been literally like just shitting on kids in, in yeah. training camp um what, what's your take there should they have taken cd lamb over aj troll not hindsight analysis obviously yeah. looking at it now you might do it but would you have done it at the time
1: yeah yeah I, I mean like that's you gotta trust the board and when it's that big a difference at least i mean shit, i don't know what the falcons board looked like but everyone was seemingly once cd lamb got drafted everyone kind of agreed holy shit, he should never fall fallen 17. Mm-hmm. so and when AJ Terrell got drafted, not a lot of people were saying, Holy shit, how do he fall to 16? Yeah. You know, like uh, there was. It's true. Not a lot of people were saying that about AJ Terrell. Now he can very well be a fine cornerback, but I think C.D. Lamb.
0: And you could argue the Falcons even then had a bigger need at wide receiver than the Cowboys did. You know what I mean? The Cowboys yes, you know Yeah, the I mean? Cowboys
1: like, were set for longer and they were not going to get rid of any guy anytime soon. Weren't locked into any bad contracts now. And obviously the Falcons were, and it moved on from a year later. Yeah. So it was, to me, it was what. The, they were they still had Dmitrov uh, right mm-hmm. last year's draft that was that's why I like the lame duck GM he's got to take the biggest position of need to hopefully make the biggest impact on his team to try to save his job right away that's what you worry about when you have a guy who's like on the hot seat at the GM position and it might not go well the next year yeah
0: last one here and then we'll jump to the interviews with Brandon Joseph and Brenton Cox jr and Douglas we trust. Hi guys, big fan of the pod. Do you guys think the Jets' rushing attack could be very good this year? The Jets' offensive line isn't great, but Becton and Moses are both monsters in the run game, and hopefully Tucker will translate there as well. Elijah Vera Tucker, the rookie out of USC.
1: I I think it could be very good. I think, one, you obviously have the schematic. I mean,
0: it's one of the best situations in football right now.
1: Going from Adam Gaze, who, gosh, I remember when Adam Gaze was in Chicago, and they ran inside zone over 50% of the time one year. The most uncreative, unimaginative. I still couldn't believe that. Obviously, he changed a little bit. Where is
0: gay now? Is he coaching somewhere?
1: <sighs> Some high school probably now. I don't oh, know what wow. he's doing, but um but I, I just go in left to right here. Becton, year one year two, expect an increase. You got Elijah Vera Tucker at left guard versus fucking Pat Elfline from last year. You expect a pretty bad, damn big increase there. You have Connor McGovern at center, who had his best year under Rish Gangarello, who was Came over from San Francisco to Denver, running similar stuff to what Michael Fleur is going to run in New York. So that you expect him to get back to the kind of levels he played. 72-point overall grade the year before they signed him. Skazqua at right guard, but then you have Morgan Moses versus George Fan at right tackle. Like that four positions across the board that you can expect a fairly sizable increase. I I think their run game could be pretty solid. Obviously, Michael Carter, we're fans of.
0: Adam Gase is a former American football head coach not coaching with the team right now and mm. if you type in Adam Gase into Google what do you think the first thing that comes up after is?
2: Uh,
0: eyes that whole eyes. press conference thing mm. which is good I didn't expect go. that and then it's current job net worth and then wife I think if you type mm. in anyone's name wife That's comes wife. up pretty yeah. early which is rough to see <laughs> um, alright before we get to the interviews I have something special for everyone listening you're not ready support PFF Support for PFF is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. I love the product. They gave me a nose trimmer. I'm out there buzzing. for sh- Just the boys are buzzing, and they're buzzing with Manscaped. Nose trimmer's in there. I am the cleanest I've ever been down low. It's literally the best situation I've been in. I sit better. I stand better. I move better. The gym hits harder. Um, never itchy. I mean, it's hard to lose with Manscaped. Really hard to lose. It offers precision-generated... Engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Join over two million men worldwide who just who just who trust Manscaped with the exclusive offer to you: twenty percent off and free worldwide shipping with the code PFF at Manscaped.com. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on the intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce growing accidents, grooming accidents, and thanks to their advanced skin safe technology, I now feel confident shaving my boys. Did I mention wireless charging? Did I? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for your family jewels with Manscaped. Now joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is current Florida edge vendor Brenton Cox Jr. Brenton, great to have you on the show.
3: Nice to be here. Awesome.
0: People, people don't know, 2018 five-star recruit, originally from Georgia, you were the number four defensive end nationally, number three Georgia prospect in that class, originally committed to Georgia, played your true freshman season there, and obviously you had the fallout with Georgia and ended up moving on to Florida, only spent five days in the transfer portal before moving on to the Florida Gators. Before we jump to Florida and your experience there now, what all did you take away from that experience with the Bulldogs, and also, what, if anything, would you have done differently from that experience?
3: I mean, honestly, like I said, I just focus on moving forward. I was there, I mean, last year, I could have, last year, I focused on moving forward last year and and being what I am today. So, majority of the time, I'm focused on trying to better myself. I'm not looking to the past. I'm not looking to redo anything or relive anything. I just focus on moving forward. At Georgia, I mean, that was a good, I thought that was a good center for me. That's my hometown state, and I loved it. But at the end of the day, you have to get better. You have to progress. You have to keep moving. That's how gotcha. I look at my day, every
0: day, day to day life. Now, as I said, spent five days in the transfers portal and and decided to commit to Florida as your next destination. What all what all factors kind of contributed contributed to that decision to become a Gator?
3: I'm a Gator. This is a, this is a good person. I'm always interested in Florida. A lot of guys around here that I personally knew before I went to Georgia, they're still here, like such as Trey Dean, Andrew Chatfield, Emory Jones. A lot of those guys, my buddies before I went to college, so it was just good picking back up with them and them taking me up on the wings and selling a brother. Gotcha. And
0: so you're you're coming off, I I think off-season foot surger- surgery. I saw you running on Twitter. You posted a video there. How has that rehab gone for you? And where are you at currently physically as you ramp up towards the season?
3: It's been wonderful. Um, me and my uh, trainer Paul, he's been getting me right. We've been working every day. I've been um, I just started my second day of running today. Um, Everything's been coming. It's been, it's been, it's been coming along. Um, I was out with a Jones fracture that I played through all last year, mm-hmm. and I just decided to get it fixed. So I should have come back stronger and better this year, and be able to do a lot more moves than I had last year, <laughs> based off this injury. So
0: that, that's fantastic, yeah. man. When, when, when do you expect yourself to be kind of hundred percent? I know you said this is you know the second day you've started running. When are you hoping to be hundred percent?
3: A lot of football players, you everybody can say this. You never hundred percent. It's always ninety five percent, eighty five percent. But you got to go regardless. So when the ball, when the game is ready, and we we'll, when we snap up against FAU, I'll be ready. I'll be out there. So I never looked at it as a one of them be hundred percent. of them be ninety percent because you'll never get there. You got to ah. play when you're ready.
0: I love that mentality. I think that's 100% right. Um, right. You know, and, you're, and you're one with the Gators. You know, you speak to your moves. You specifically flash as a pass rusher, 80.8 PFF passing grade, 48 total pressures. It's, uh, you were one of my favorite players to watch from a pass rushing perspective. I'd love to hear kind of more detail or more specifics about your pre-snap pass rush plan and kind of what moves and counter moves you currently leverage. I know you love your spin. That spin is phenomenal. I'd call right. it the best spin in college football right now. But I guess what is your pre-snap plan? What goes through your head pre-snap and then also what moves are you currently trying to prioritize both moves and counter moves?
3: Well, it depends on the series. You know, first snap, you always looking to see what's going on within the offensive line. How can you beat them inside? How can you beat them outside? So my first go-to move is the power. I want to see how strong you are. Can you stop me when I'm doing this or that? Secondly, I like to bring out the finesse, depending on what the play type is. So first down, you bring out the power. Second down, you bring out pretty much power and finesse. Third down, you put it all together for the ultimate pass rush. So that's how I look at it. I try to build up every day or every game, trying to see what that old tackle is doing. You know, I watch film every day. That that also is based on what that old tackle does. So, I mean, it's a lot of stuff that goes into the pass rush. There's a lot of thoughts that goes into it before the boss else. But, mm-hmm. you know, the first thing, it's it's always about to get up. Every time you get up, you should have a 90% chance of winning that rep. So, it's all about to get up. That's how I take everyday pass rush, free pass rush.
0: You, you tweeted in June that you are looking up twitchy pass rushers that use different techniques. What you know, what do you like to watch the most or who do you like to watch the most and what lo- what moves specifically you're looking to pick up this off season?
3: Uh this off season I'm trying to pick up the jump cross dip. Um that's a tough one. You know, it's a it's a primary NFL move. A lot of mm-hmm. college guys don't use it right now. I'm trying to pick that up. And a lot of guys I like watching. Um you know Frank guy Frank Clark is a twitchy guy I like to watch. Um, Davion Clowney's pretty twitchy when you want to beat Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, all those guys are like pretty dumb in the classroom. So I try to look up guys like that, including my guy Chase Young. You know, mm-hmm. I mean he's young, but he, he pretty much know what he's doing. He got it all, he got it all together. So I like to watch dudes like that and dudes that just keep coming, that keep rushing. So, you know, you said
0: you watch, you know, you know, offensive tackles, you know, in in season, uh, in your game study. What do you look for in offensive tackles? I guess how often are you watching film on your opponent in a given game week? You know, are you watching that, you know, on Thursdays and Fridays? Or are you watching that throughout the week? And I guess what are you looking to pick up from that film?
3: Watching film is every day. You know, I started watching FAU a couple months back. I mean, old tackle, I'm looking for who's lying on their feet, who's got the quickest feet. Um, who has the strongest hands? Who's like who's a leaner? Who jumps? Who jump sets me? You know, I'm looking at that type of stuff. But mm-hmm. when it comes to a whole line, you have to look at the whole line. You got to look at the offensive tackle, the offensive guard, and the center, and that pulling guard on the backside. So it's all. It's, I mean, it's all a process. It's a lot to watch. I mean, you're not looking, you pick up a pick up on in a day. But mm-hmm. I try to get a, a good amount of film every day, at least yeah, thirty minutes.
0: This Florida defense has some absolute dogs this upcoming year. Kyer Elam, Ventrell Miller, Jeremiah Moon, Zachary Carter, Jadarius Perkins, yourself. I mean, it's to know, you know, have you guys gotten together this offseason, kind of looked at what you have on paper and said, man, we could be something special? Or even specifically, what are your guys' expectations for the 2021 season?
3: My expectation is just to be the best we can be talented guys that can do a lot of things. You got Kyle and Elam on the back end. You got Zachary Carter next to me up front. You got Venture Miller in the middle. So if all those guys do their maximum or take care of their job to their maximum ability, we mm-hmm. all should be good. We should be better than good because we have the talent. And we've got a lot of young guys coming in, such as J.Y. Um, what, we got Lloyd Sumrard behind me, Chris Bowles. So we got a lot of depth and a lot of um, people that can come in and play and get a lot of stuff going.
0: A few more questions for you, Brenton, and I'll let you go. really appreciate the time. I need some takes on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, last year, having that opportunity to go up against Kyle Pitts all season, talk to me about how fun that was for you and how and how that, how that much better that got you as a player, watching him compete and watching him work in practice.
3: Kyle Pitts, he yeah, up there in the Falcons, where I'm from. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it was, our, it was our competition. You know, me and Kyle, we basically more closer than a lot of other guys would be. So, I'm – I'm doing more of a blocking, trying to we're we're fitting gaps. So mm-hmm. it's not really I'm not seeing the um athletic part of Cal, but I mean I definitely am feeling I'm definitely I'm feeling the strength. and that got me better. as like far as run blocking and blocking with tight ends, taller tight ends.
0: You spoke a little bit to Emory Jones as one of your guys. What are your expectations for him? You know, we at PFF see him as a Dark Horse Heisman candidate this upcoming season, a clear breakout candidate for the Florida Gators, working with Dan Mullen in that office, taking over for Kyle Trask. I guess, you know, what has been your early, you know, impressions of Emory Jones this offseason? I guess what are your expectations for him on the offensive side of the ball?
3: I feel like he has all the tools and all the sources to be a great quarterback. We got Coach Dale McGee, We got Coach Muller behind him. They have coached plenty of quarterbacks that we heard of. Um... I mean, his it is his his limits. I mean, you have no limit on Emory. He can run, he can throw, do whatever you need. So I, I, that's my guy. You know, above football, above before all of this. You know, I'm looking at him as a friend. I think he I think he has it all.
0: Last one for yeah, you here. Probably. Who 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 not named Brenton Cox Jr. is going to be that breakout player that not enough people are talking about right now, but breaks out in 2020 for 2021 for Florida
3: like you said, we got so much talent. I mean, I, all I can do is focus on myself and the <laughs> guys that are around me. So, totally. I mean, over the years, we had plenty of breakout players, but I have to say I have to give it to my guy, Tyron Harper. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Tyron Harper, uh, back up, starting back. Up, back, up, back, up, back, up, back up.
0: Gotcha. Perfect. Well, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck this upcoming season. Now joining the 241 Drafts podcast is current Northwestern safety, Brandon Joseph, a guy who, if you don't know the name yet, after what was an absurd interception against Ohio State in that Big Ten championship, also an absurd season overall, a guy that a lot of people, I think, are underrating right now, the Northwestern safety, now entering what? Your redshirt sophomore campaign with Northwestern, former three-star recruit in 2018, and coming off what was an absolutely studly season, it's great to see you on the show here, Brandon. Thanks for joining.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here
0: let's focus on this past year. And I want to talk about the interception. I know you did a lot of talk about the interception in to big 10 media days, but you know, played over 600 snaps in 2020 after a redshirt freshman campaign, 88.5 PFF coverage grade, an obvious breakout for you, but let's start with what everyone wants to know. You know, what are the next steps for Brandon Joseph? What do you feel you need to do to take your game to the next level this upcoming season?
2: Man, I feel like my game isn't even close to where, where it can be. My ceiling, my ceiling's nowhere near today, nowhere near tomorrow. I, I'm constantly working on myself on my game. Um, last year, I was able to prove to to the Big Ten and to the world that I was able to cover and I was able to intercept the football. So I think next year as I go and as I approach the season, I want to prove my versatility because I'm more than just a free safety that can sit in the post and go find the ball. I feel like I'm an all-around safety. I can get in the box. I can play Big Ten ball when I need to go get down there and stop the run like, like Big Ten. But I want to prove my versatility. I want to improve, improve my tackling. And improve a lot of things, a lot of aspects of my game.
0: I want to focus a little bit on that versatility. This past year, looking at you know PFF tracks, you know alignment on pre snaps Played over 150 snaps in the box and the slot, deep safety. I'm glad you're going to continue to emphasize and prioritize that versatility. What do you have to do, I guess, on and off the field or in practice, in the film room, to really prioritize that versatility? Because I'm sure you have to know so much more when you're playing from so many different alignments, especially in this defense at Northwestern.
2: Yeah, like you said, the defense at Northwestern last year with Coach Hanks plan, the defense we run isn't easy. It's complex. Luckily, I was able to start with a with a senior in JR Pace last year, and as I gained trust from my coach, he allowed me to play one side of the field, which allowed me to do everything. And so, whenever I play on the left, I'm playing to the field, playing to the boundary, rolling down. Like you said, playing everywhere. And so, as I uh, as I approach this year, I hope the coaches give me again the option to play anywhere and and uh, in, in Northwestern scheme. We can play a wheel on a tight end and be in the box, or I can be playing mix on two wide receivers and being covered four, or I can roll out post cover three. So Northwestern allows us, allows me to really learn a lot of different types of defenses, a lot of different coverages, while letting me go do everything I want to.
0: I know uh, Coach Pat Fitzgerald said he wants you to add a little bit of weight to your frame. In addition to obviously improving, you know, in a handful of different areas, he also, you know, praised you for "sky's the limit" for your ceiling, which I can't, I can't agree more. Uh, but what, what, where are you weighing in at right now? And I guess how much is adding weight a priority for you still?
2: Yeah, adding weight's been a huge priority. I've been weighing anywhere from 197 to 200 over this off season, and my plan is to go into the uh, into the season next year at around 200. So that's a goal. My last year playing in at Weighing in at 192, playing around 190 throughout the season, uh, it wasn't easy. It wasn't fun. So continuing to get big and play these big to play Big Ten opponents, and then eventually playing the NFL, the gaining weight is a is a huge uh, thing of mine. But at the same time, I don't want to lose my speed. I know I realize what it means to have speed and what it means to have speed to this game of football. So gaining weight while keeping my speed is one of my main goals in this off season.
0: Yeah, going from 190 playing weight to 200 is obviously a big jump, 10 pounds there. But also if you're going to play in the box as often as you do, you're obviously playing with those big boys. You're going to need to have some more on that frame. I want to, again, like I, I spoke to it a little bit, you know, for people who don't know that you had that what I would call the interception of the year. I think everyone would call the interception of the year against Ohio State. And I know your comment was fantastic at Big Ten Media Days. We lost that game. I don't want to talk about it, but I I do think it's an excellent play. I'd love to hear the true play by play. What was the play called pre-snap? What were your thoughts pre-snap? And I guess how you executed that play. Just d- any details, any further details there would be great.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was our base goal line uh, coverage. I was in man. It was just me and Garrett out there. And um, a big thing about Northwestern and the way that we play man in that in that goal line, I had underneath help from my stand. So it allowed me to hang on the outside shoulder of Garrett Wilson. And um, whenever we, he ran that route, I was just able to sit on it, read, the, read it out, read what he did out of his break and recognize the fate early. And with the end zone being, the back of the end zone being where it was, I knew when to look back and and I was just able to go make a play on the ball.
0: Talk about some talent too. If we can do a little bit of a segue here, Big Ten's got two really talented receivers returning to, to to school this year, and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Just how much of a challenge was that last year, and how much do you predict that being a challenge for you guys this upcoming season?
2: Yeah, those those two guys are insane. They are two of the best receivers returning in college football. Unfortunately, they're not on the on, not on our schedule this year. So for for me to play those two talents, I'm gonna have to work for it. I'm gonna have to go find them in the postseason, but. No, those two are going to be a problem this year. They're they're great talents. Um, I also wasn't able to play Chris last year, but Garrett Wilson, extraordinary. He's from Lake Travis, Texas. He's from right over, right down in Texas where I'm from. and He's great. So those two are going to be great and have a great year.
0: I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the change at defense coordinator. Obviously coach Hanks was there for a long time. He was at Northwestern, I think since 2008, uh, a 73 year old grinder, my friend for the talent that he did and, and how much he had an impact on that Northwestern defense him and Pat Fitzgerald have been there for so long to have a change. Now, Jim O'Neill coming over. Uh, I think we saw, you know, Jim, you, you, you spoke to just how, how talented he is as a, as a defensive coordinator and the new techniques and the new things he's bringing to Northwestern, I guess, talk to me about you know the perspective he's bringing coming from the NFL to Northwestern what is he what are your early impressions from Jim O'Neill now on the sideline
2: yeah you kind of hit it on the dot like he's bringing that he's bringing an NFL perspective and just like you noticed it immediately when when he got here when he gets in our meeting rooms the way that he implements himself the the comments he makes the techniques that he introduces it's it's a next level uh um, it's a next level thing and it's it's great to have him I think he's going to be a great addition to northwestern and um I, I think he's gonna do nothing but help us. He's already started. I've already seen myself improve. I seen plays that I make last year, and then I'll go sit down with Coach O'Neill, look at it, and we'll break down why it was able to happen, why I was on using this leverage. And um, I think he's just—it's techniques that that's just gonna uh, boost my game.
0: Do you expect you know the defense, at least from a schematic standpoint, to change significantly? And I guess you know if you could get specific, where do you think this defense improves the most under O'Neill's tutelage?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's hard to say. We, over the spring, we were we did more implementing his playbook. So starting to learn new terminology, learn new not new coverages, but coverages the way that Coach O'Neal wants to run them. And uh, just as a safety plan for two different defensive coordinators, you see similarities and differences throughout them. And uh, I think Coach O'Neal brings he his uh, he likes blitzing a lot. So I think if anything, when it comes to uh, the schematics of it. We may blitz a little bit more. But uh, other than that, cover six is cover six. Cover four is cover four. So we're going to go out there and do whatever whatever we game plan for the specific team.
0: 100%. Only a couple more questions for you, and then I'll let you go. Really appreciate the time. You know, obviously, you know, a monster leader and talent, you know, leaving Northwestern this past offseason, Greg Newsom going on to play with the Cleveland Browns, first-round pick. You know, what was your relationship like with Newsom, And I guess your impressions of him on and off the field. What are the Browns getting in Greg Newsom?
2: Yeah, Greg was one of my best friends. I hope I'm able to play with him again one day. Me and him, whenever we were on the field, we said we were the best duo in the country. So, uh, no, I was also able to watch his whole entire NFL process from the day he left the Citrus Bowl to the day for to being in the room when the Browns called his name. Uh, the Browns are getting the most confident corner in that draft. That man. The thing I learned the most from him is is confidence. Is to play with confidence. To have confidence out there. Um, playing in the Big 10 and playing in uh at the corner position, DB position in general, you're out on an Island. You're d- depending on your skills, depending on your techniques. So to have the confidence that you're going to go do what you're going to do and you're going to lock down the other person, it's, a, it's a huge thing. And it's a huge thing that helps in uh, for being a DB. So that's one of the main things I learned from Greg from Greg and Greg's going to go out there and, and he's going to be confident. You're going to see his confidence when he's out in the field and he's going to go perform the way he knows he can.
0: Stepping up in, in Newsom shoes, I know you have high praise for your corners there. Cameron Mitchell, AJ Hampton, both expected to take on big roles with Newsom now in, in Cleveland. What are your expectations for that duo? And I guess how how can you three lead you know lead that Northwestern defense to be one of the best in the Big Ten?
2: Um, I think we do it the same way we did it last year. Last year we were the number one pass efficiency defense uh, defensive backfield in the country. And to just go out there and keep that mindset that we are the best in the country. We don't let people in our end zone and we don't let people catch the ball. That's our mindset. We go out on the field and when we go out there and do that, I think we're able to do anything. My two corners along with her, Rod Hurd and some young talent. I think that our DB room has depth that we haven't seen before. And I think that watching the guys that were here last year along with myself, I'm just going to keep on bringing and keep on preaching things that we did last year to be successful again.
0: Hell yeah, man. Well, it's going to be a fantastic watch. Everyone needs to tune in for Northwestern football, man. It's going to be a, a lot of fun this upcoming season. I wish you the best of luck.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of 2 for 1 Drafts. Brenton Cox Jr., Brandon Joseph, two future studs in the NFL. Fantastic episode. Thank you for dropping in your mailbag questions. Make sure to continue to do it. We're going to continue to do the mailbag episode here on 2 for 1 Drafts. Until next time, Austin Gill, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn, producer Max Chadwick, 2 for 1 Drafts.